0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Here are the aisles, the projectionist, Tasmicha. Hi, I'm joined here with two people. I'm joined here with Yitzhak Kolakowski and Neil Fleischman. Uh, Neil, uh, on last week uh, you joined us here as, as, as a guest slot. And the reviews were glowing and great. So I cajoled you to proud of the screenplays that he had written and uh, things that he felt were real important theater, but that he only really made his name or what really gave him the type of living and fame that he wanted was the uh, the production and the creation of The Twilight Zone, which was all science fiction, horror and sort of like much different than what he'd written before so it got me thinking and this is what I want to call tonight's episode called Rod Serling out of his zone, um put, trying to investigate and, and talk about some of those films and some of those television programs that didn't even uh, necessarily make it into in film at least not in his lifetime uh, that Serling penned uh, at that time um and many of them were considered masterpieces. They were given the Emmy. Um, Some of them were considered a little bit, uh, perhaps, uh, I would say, um, underwhelming uh, in terms of what critics came out. But I think through the magic of YouTube and other things, we've been able to preserve uh, a lot of what Serling did. We're not going to talk about Requiem for Heavyweight, which is probably the most one of the most famous things that Serling did. Um it, it exists in television form and in in the film. The and that is one that many people remember as like the apex of the Playhouse 90 era in terms of what television was, how great it was. I actually want to talk about the 1955 uh, teleplay, uh which was only was only an hour and only about 45 or 46 minutes of actual uh uh, maybe less or maybe a little bit more of actual play because of the commercials that were necessary. And the, it was this was on the Kraft Television Theater in 1955 uh, and the 1956 film of Patterns, um, which Serling really felt was almost uh, his death of a salesman. Serling was only 30 years old, 31 perhaps, maybe when Patterns came out. I think he was not even 31 years old. Um And he had been trying to write uh, for television and he had had some stuff that actually had been produced. Um, He had had a very interesting early life. Uh, By this time, he was moving to, he had moved to New York, uh, actually to Connecticut in 1953, which was, we'll see, has a lot as sort of similar to where he was, the the protagonist in Patterns was, and he was uh, trying to throw whatever he could at all the networks uh, to try to get some of his stuff produced, and he did. However, the one that rang the bell the most, the one that showed that he had arrived, and where he could start writing his own ticket, was Patterns. Uh, the After it was produced, after it was shown live on television, um, and uh, supposedly CBS's switchboard, the, the phones were off the hook, and i'm sure both of you know it's been well documented that they decided to redo the play so in other words a month or so later there were so many people that had missed it and heard it was great that they wanted to actually do an on-car performance where they didn't just show the 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 kinescope again they actually went through and and acted through the the teleplay a, another time, because it, it was considered so significant. Um, Neil, I know I, I sort of pushed it on you. Tell me, what did you, t- tell me some of, why don't you tell us, um, give us a little bit of an outline of the film, of the television show and the film, and tell me some of your feelings about it, and, and, we'll, and we'll respond.
1: Thanks, Um happy to be here again. Um, I would say, <laughs> You know, sometimes I have a bad habit of jumping into things before summarizing, so I'll try to remember and give a summary. It's a story of a, um, a business person who's brought in, he's being promoted, he's, he's chosen from a small town, and um, he, he's, he's a nice guy. He's married and he gets a house, and it's this company which is run by this very ambitious, kind of ruthless person. And then there's this person that he thinks he's working with, who's a nice man, who's a good deal older than him, who's a partner in the company. But as time goes by, it becomes clear that he's being uh, brought in to replace this partner. And his wife is kind of in on it. Like she wants that to happen and feels like he um, is too sympathetic for losers, as she puts it. I I didn't like her that much particularly I found in the movie version version she was much less likable than in the original TV version um that's that's we can get to that later but as it as it progresses he's struggling with the fact that he's replacing this guy that he likes he's struggling with the fact that he's wanting to you know advance in life and uh, support his family and all that but he really
0: wants to be Uh, the name of this young fellow plucked from in the in the in the in the original teleplay from Cincinnati where Serling himself lived for a number of years Mm. to New York set up in Connecticut where Serling was living so in a way this fellow is in a way an example of uh, almost the same age in the teleplay because you can see the actor who plays him in the teleplay was Richard Kiley who's quite a bit younger than Van Heflin who plays him in the movie yeah. so I- in a way that that character is very similar to to where Serling was in life where he was being brought in not to an old company but to a new era and to to invest some new blood not just like these old radio hacks who are basically just in a way redoing some of the radio shows onto television he wanted to really do something new and different but yes and Serling chose a name for that character staples right that's what he calls him staples which yeah i thought was like yeah this is the staple this is really um this is really in a way not just the staple that sticks the paper together but in a way the staple this is this guy is, as like you say, is a, a good decent person, but he's the staple of American business. The young guy on the rise, uh, who's doing what America has really trained him to do. Um, so that's that's the staple's character. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, that's a good observation. Yeah,
0: and thanks, Neil. I mean, I think it's a in, in a way what, what's interesting about and and we'll talk about the the, the teleplay in the film, is that. Unlike some other sort of movies, which I haven't seen, like Wall Street and, and, and a lot of films that, about corporate uh, like geniuses, evil people, this film doesn't, although you said the man is ruthless and he was played by Everett Sloan, as you saw in the, in the teleplay and in the movies. Um, ruthless, yes, but he's not an obvious villain. He's not an obvious like Lothario who, uh, despite there's an attempt to to paint him that way, but really the way Sterling writes this thing um it's it's not so clear uh the, the the character, the older fellow, the one who has been like the vice president, the one who clearly in and, and those boardroom scenes where where you can see the, the tension, mm-hmm. I can tell you, Neil, we've both been teachers. We've yes. both been in Hanola meetings or yes. teachers meetings. Didn't it strike a familiar chord with you? The type of <laughs> the type of um, you know where all the teachers, all the, uh, the 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 yes men, and the people sitting around, and one teacher being lambasted, or one person in the company being lambasted by by the head man. I, I felt a lot of tension in those scenes, uh, right. business scenes, right, where they were talking about and again Serling was not a businessman in that way and he obviously did a little homework in order to make it vague but real enough about what what it was the company was doing I mean um and and you can see there in those scenes that there is anger frustration between these two positions the position of of in the movie he's called Briggs and the I don't know in the teleplay his name was Sloan but it was played by the great veteran character actor Ed Begley um and uh Ed Begley was not not a, uh, as you can tell, he wasn't, he was meant not to be anything like Heflin or Sloan in terms of his looks, in terms of his mien and presence. He's, you can see a man who looks older than the years they even say in the movie, right? In the movie 62, in the, in the right. teleplay they're 56, he looks like somebody who life has taken its toll on. Um, yeah. were, were your sympathies totally with him with the with with the guy that uh, staples is going to replace
1: um I'm able to see one side of a situation but I did definitely have sympathy for him and you raised an issue that I want to be very cautious in talking about I do know a lot about the field of education and I did see some similarities but I feel that there are fields that I don't know but I have a feeling that in all businesses, there's people who rise to the top. There's people who are young and brought in and well-liked. There are a lot of patterns, to use the word, that, uh, and I have a few theories about that name we can get to. But another one I just thought of is that this is a pattern that happens all over. It can happen in families. It can happen in in. In synagogues or churches, it could happen in in any kind of business place, in a used car dealership where there's, you know, the golden boy brought in and the mm-hmm. older person who was a golden boy twenty years ago, thirty years ago. Um, so, so yeah, my heart really did go out very much. To sure, her.
0: and and I think Sir Wing writes in, in a in a way that your sympathies are there, but. Uh, it doesn't like I said before. There's let's 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 explain the the reason why he's being brought in, not just because he's old, the head of the company, Sloan Everett Sloan's character, his name is Ramsey, feels that he represents an old model of business, a very much a, a, a model built on sympathy and handouts, a model built on something that the new post World War II. America or even the global economy really can't deal with as he said it's all like soup kitchens it's in a way trying to incur favor uh with your workers uh, being a glad hander um not recognizing that like he said the company was small when he took over and now it, it seems like like I don't know let's say they made widgets like, <laughs> like I don't know what they made but right. but whatever it was now the main idea of the company was the companies they were taking over if, if you notice a lot of what the, the conversation was he's going to seattle he's going to lansing yeah. he's going to detroit it's like it's, it's like the 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 business is to acquire businesses yeah as opposed to we make widgets or we right. make hot dogs we right. basically made enough money making widgets and hot dogs right. and now we own all these things and, and that,
1: that is, guy is actually an acquisition himself. He comes from one of the places that were
0: acquired. Exactly. So, um, yeah. So it's interesting that that yes, your sympathy is with this fellow, but you realize that Sloan's character, Mr. Ramsey, is saying some correct things.
1: Yeah. That, you and I, I think, disagree on that. <laughs>
0: yeah. No. No. Yeah. I think he's saying something correct that you need to look have a different look. The viciousness with which he right. eviscerates him hurts when you hear it. Yes, but but the basic point that he says to him, and again, we us talk about the first that first meeting where where Staples is brought in, sort of as a new guy, not really knowing anything, um, and and the boss wants him sitting in a certain place. I mean, yeah. that was that was to me like you know also a real classic little move that mm-hmm. the boss had made sure that he would as soon as. He would be seen. It's almost like La the Chafetz Chaim at the one of the the convention where where Rav Mayor Shapiro introduced Dafyomi. They talked in advance that he would sit next to the Chafetz Chaim. Uh-huh. So the Chafetz Chaim wanted to make sure that nobody would think he was just a young upstart. Chafetz Chaim was so impressed by his passion and his idea. Right. So similarly, uh, Ramsey uh, makes sure that in this very first meeting. He has this guy close to him, and then he takes apart the old vice president, played by Begley, either yeah. slash, slash Sloan slash Briggs, and he tells him that you've been saying the same thing. Let's talk about, in fact, I've mentioned to you that today when we were talking about it, I, I, and, and I'd like to hear your feedback on it. One of the things that comes up that, that Sterling starts right off with is that they want to lay off. Uh, 450 people, whatever the number is, because if they wait a couple of months, although people will be out of work, they'll be able to save a lot of money and be able to reopen and hire even more people at, with, at, at a much lesser cost. And, and Briggs slash Sloan
1: yeah.
0: uh, articulates a passionate plea for humanity, and yeah. he says, he says, but what are you going to do these this is all these people know it's a small town you're going to put people out of work for 6 months how could you do this what we owe we owe to them like he says it's 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 uh, and 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 Ramsey responds and says of course in a very like I said in an angry way yes. he, says, he says you're not seeing the big picture
1: don't and you it, see He kind of rams things down your throat I you was know, thinking that about
0: that Ramsey yes. About yeah. yes 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 Right. So Ramsey's argument was, well, in the long run they'll suffer a little bit, but the town will benefit in a couple of, in a year from now, where we'll be able to uh, we'll be able to operate there with lower costs and hire more people. Um, so he he almost Ramsey hates the fact that what uh, Briggs is using is humanity and feeling when when he believes, but like he says later in the film profit and morals to go together, right? You yeah. can have a prophet still be moral. What did you think of that little interchange between them? Uh, I think I think
1: that's the you part. and I might, uh, this might be a Siskel and Ebert moment. Okay, uh, go ahead. I
0: disagree a little.
1: I think that the, the boss, what he's saying is kind of baloney. You know, he wants to say, I'm really moral too. I have the big picture, just trust me. But I don't know. I, he doesn't seem to really mind you know, those people losing jobs, just like he doesn't mind the other guy himself, who's Griggs, supposed who's to be himself. running it with him. He's like, he says to the new guy, don't you understand? You're replacing him. How naive are you? He's got to go. Done. No, finished. He doesn't, his his talk of compassion,
0: I don't believe. I don't believe it. Uh, you're right. I don't trust I, it. I, 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 see, I, it's not really a Cisco Niebuhr moment. Okay. I think. <laughs> I, 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 it's not that, Sloan underneath his hard exterior is like a really sweet man. What he believes is, is that run, and running as he says, that running a company is not so much my power trip. It's the, the company's success. And that what it's about is not I'm holding on to power at all costs. He even notes, and this is one of the themes in the, in, in the teleplay and in the film, is that if somebody can knock me off, let them do it. Yeah. What I'm trying to do is expand and make this thing work better. Um, yeah. It isn't like you find, and again, many other industrial films, like uh, they decided to put cheap items into the car. And all my sons. One of the the, the main uh, thing that leads, spoiler alert, the main thing that leads the dad to commit suicide is when he realizes that uh, yeah. that he cut corners. And because of that, the wrong type of, uh, element was put into the airplanes, which caused people's death, that's not what's going on here, that we're going to uh, dehumanize people and give them inferior stuff, but we're going to have a bigger look, and he, he says, I don't care if you like me, you could hate my guts. He. The main thing is, capitalism will work, right. and capitalism is inherently good, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's part of what he, what he's saying. And 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 therefore capitalism will be better in the long run.
1: Yeah, but I'm I'm not buying it.
0: You think really he's, you buying. you think he's a pernicious person?
1: Yeah, evil person. I, I think capitalism, it's it's not. You know, I, I'm not I'm I'm not here to like justify socialism, but any any ideology, lots of the isms, they want to suggest that it's all it's bigger than me. It's not about me. But the 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 flaw in all of them is it is about me. The the head of, of socialism wants things for himself. And the head of capitalism is such a big fat liar that he says, no, I don't care if you knock me off. He doesn't care if he gets knocked off. Yes, yes, he does. Yes, he does. <laughs> he says, I want you to challenge me. I'll, I'll love every minute. No, the guy just told him, I'm giving away the end of the movie. He says, I hate your guts, but you pay me enough money. I'll work for you. He says, he says great. And he says, and I reserve the right. To, to come in and punch you one day, he says, "Great!" And I reserve the right to punch you too. It's not it's not that he's saying get rid of me. He's like, I'm going to fight you. You you punch me, I'll punch you back. Okay, but, you know, but
0: you're leaving something out, Neil. What he says in that last speech, and this was the the end of the of patterns, is what most critics and people talk about. It say was so incredible. Um, as we said, well, let, let, let's now fill in the blanks. Okay. Basically, what happens and what happens is. Uh, you know, in a couple of shots, you see how successful Fred is becoming, that he's really loves the job. He has the job. He's got, uh, he's got Briggs' secretary working for him, who really has to begrudgingly compliment him that he's doing such a great job. As you said, we'll talk about the Lady Macbeth aspect of his wife in a second, but um, he's he's really riding high. And, and the moment that is like the, the great, they, they set the Plot in motion, especially in the teleplay, that the big moment uh, where what they're really supposedly working on together is the year-end report. I guess of of, of how, how all the giant companies are doing and what they could do and how things could be better and what are their uh, suggestions for the future. And as the as as both it, it, they work on it together, this is where supposedly, although it's it's Sterling doesn't write those scenes uh, in exposition, you know that they've become good friends over them. And in the teleplay, especially, he says, which wasn't in the movie, he says, I've incorporated your ideas here. They were very good. Yes. Like, oh, he, uh, the Briggs Sloan character says, you've really done something. I'm so proud we could work together. He recognizes that he needed something new. He recognized there was something novel, modern, different, analytic in Staples' approach that he felt he could, he could, he could, uh, he could. Uh, put together synthesized with his and when that report is is ready staples is ready to be the second guy he's ready to be the second author yeah. of course of course uh as we and we'll talk about it the, the sloan ramsey Everett sloan playing ramsey actually has read the report and we'll we'll talk a minute how he knows I about claim it
1: claims you read it <laughs> yeah
0: right and he knows that it can't be that it's got to be that, that, and again, look at the subtlety. And he claims it can't be. I'm, mm-hmm. I don't think I believe him. Uh, you don't think, okay. But 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 the subtlety of, of Serling's story is, is that even the victim recognizes that there's something new and different in the report. Even the victim, although he believes it was his superstructure that was invested by the new novel points, He knows that this isn't the report he usually gives. This isn't the same, as he said, the tongue-clucking report. There is something different. It's a matter of degree. So so at that, when that report is being read and being trumpeted to all the heads of the different parts of this Ramsey company in this big public meeting, uh, this is where um, uh, he, he gives him his final shot where he turns him into jelly. Where he basically right. says, "Don't lie to me. You're trying to take credit for somebody else. You know how could you even put your name on there? Your name doesn't even deserve to be there." He crossed it out, already. right? Right. He crossed it out, and he said, "How dare you? I saw what you tried to do." And it's at that moment that Staples does speak up. Yes, he does speak up and says, "No, but but he won't hear it. The Ramsey won't hear any." disregard he's right. got his victim in his clutches and he pummels him and pummels him and pummels him and we've heard already that he has a weak heart we've heard about his ulcers we saw his drinking and it wasn't a surprise that he was going to have a heart attack there right right, right? um and and and, it, and and when he collapses uh after being basically uh turned into a jelly uh you, did you hear? I don't know if you heard on the screenplay, and if you heard, he says, "Fred, he's still giving orders, right?" Yes. yes. Ram, Ramsey is giving orders about call call the ambulance to yeah. something in my right. Yeah. He's never not in charge, even after he oh, he kills this guy. Basically, yeah. he pushes him almost till death. He's still death. he's still giving to death. He's he's still giving orders. Um, by the way. It was in the uh, movie, um, I know, and in, in the television. He goes into Briggs's office after he's, yeah. and, he, and he sits at his desk and looks at the liquor. And he yeah. sort of, in a way, gives him a last hurrah. In, in a way, he doesn't spit in the office, he doesn't come in there and say, I'm happy, yeah. I'm happy you're dead. He, in, in a way, recognizes it. So, uh, uh, in the movie, uh, Van Heflin playing the Staples character is actually at the hospital and watching right. him die and being there. Right. Obviously, in the teleplay, they couldn't have various scenes; they they could only film on, on on one little set. Right. Um, in a way, it's stronger that it's like chick talk. You know? You're right. We'll talk in a second. We'll talk about why you felt the, the, the teleplay was stronger. I just want to talk about that last thing, and this is where I think we could we could not debate but discuss. Yeah, he's upset, Staples. He's mad. He yes. he feels a good man was was killed, a good man was 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 harangued to death, and he wants to quit. He wants to go back to Cincinnati or wherever he's going to go. If this is the world, that this high finance business and this is what this is about, he doesn't want any part of it. And you're right, like you said a couple of minutes ago, he decides to stay. Um, but one of the things that he tells him is that. If you go back, you won't be challenged. If you go back, you're so smart, you'll be on top. You'll go back to Ohio. He says, do you want to grow? That's what he tells him. He says, do you want to grow? Do you want to challenge? Do you just want, it's only with tension of people who who, who are disagreeing with you viciously. This is what he feels. He says, it's not my company. It's coming, he says, "It's it, it's the it's the idea itself It's only through challenge, it's only through struggle and through competition, sometimes tooth to tooth, claw and fang competition, that people find the best part of themselves. That's really what Ramsey's motto is. You don't think it was real? You don't think that code was true? Go ahead and tell me why. No, I
1: think it's like a, a parent or a teacher, you know, beating someone there in a intimate relationship with a spouse or a child and saying, you know, this is what's best. I only do this because I love you. You know, it's it's I think it's horrible. And it reminded me the in the movie version and the TV version, the wife was a little different. I found her to be much more manipulative in the movie version. And she and the boss, it even struck me that he. He asks when he first meets him, he asks about the wife. I feel like the wife and the boss, not that they were having a relationship, but they were in cahoots. They they had met before. They were on the same page. They're both manipulating this guy all the time. And mm-hmm. when he says to him, you know, you're not going to get this anywhere else. You know, many people, I think, have been in work relationships, which, which are challenging or when they're knocked down notches and they're told no we're just trying to help you we're just critiquing you this is the way that it is we work you really hard that's the way you become great and you're so great just as long as you let me push (laughs) you around you'll become even greater and um
0: i I agree with you that i I I agree with you that's a line that you hear my feeling though is and, and some of it is based by my reading of joel engel's um, biography of Serling, where based on people 's interviews, Serling said that he didn 't make Ramsey into this total um caricature because many of ramsey 's ideas were Serling 's ideas right. Ser, Serling actually felt so i i 'm with you because i 'm more of a briggs guy in my own nishama. i uh, that 's one of the reasons why i 'm doing podcasting and not teaching now but but or teaching through podcasting. But right. I, I believe Serling himself and part of what we do here on the show, Neil, is talk about the intent of the author. Not, and it's true, uh, the work of art lives separately within each of us. But I think what Serling was trying to do was to get you to think. And he, I think, espoused something similar to that opinion. He, was a, he wasn't a tyrant on the set, but he wanted, this is what he believed could change television. And he talked about this a lot the idea of, of throwing out old ideas. And, 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 and he one uh, like, for example, the fact that that, that Briggs' character, Sloane's character, the character played by Ed Begley, is an alcoholic, I think is sort of like something Sterling didn't have to do. He could have just been a guy with a weak heart. I think making him an alcoholic uh, for, in many places in Hollywood and old TV, is a way of saying the man... Wasn't, wasn't up to stuff. He wasn't able to meet any, and he became an alcoholic because this is what he turned to. And because and, it was really unnecessary to have him be a secret alcoholic, I think. I think part of the reason Serling does that is because he's trying in a way to, to sort of take some sympathy away from him. You're supposed to see him as de- detritus by having these characters drawn in shades of gray. Where Briggs is not the total blameless martyr, where Staples is not just the noble uh, young guy who's who's always going to say the right thing. He's not the the Jimmy Stewart character, and Mr. Smith goes to Wash. He's not that type. And Sloane is not Potter from um, you know from It's right. a Wonderful Life, and 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 the wife as well. I know you want to make your point. The wife was sort of a she want, but remember what she says. This is where we wanted. This is what we were living for she Mm. she touches the the marital the the chords of what married life is supposed to be and and how wonderful it is and how proud she is and um those are there's so much
1: complexity here in the characters and in one character who's not in the show but is every character in the show and that's rod serling i didn't read that biography i've read other things and I think he was complicated. I think he was trying to de- do new things. He was trying to have a new vision. But he was also very sympathetic for the underdog, very against you know, the man and the machine. And there's there's a lot of Twilight Zones that have that, that theme. Mm-hmm. And and, <laughs> and you know, I don't think he would be pleased with being made into like, you know, he's
0: like the boss in it. But many Twilight Zone episodes, whether he wrote them or not, he was sort of the executive producer and and one of them promoted was about how we were losing our humanity to automation and that machines are are replacing people and that we can't let that happen. Um, And I think that I agree with that. I I think the, but he also has a a number of of films. Again, if this is what you want to do, Neil, and I I love it, Uh don't think that, but if you remember, in many films, it's about giving in, whether it's Ed Wynn as the pitchmaster deciding to die and not right. going to live on um uh, uh, the older woman of uh, that that uh, who's who who the angel of death appears to her in the form of Robert Redford, who by the way had his introductory in one of others in in the next thing we're going to talk uh. about. he consistently in the Twilight Zone talks about acceptance. And especially older people accepting accepting their age, accepting there's something new. The 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 famous Twilight Zone with Ida Lupino uh, as an old movie star who can only live in the past, and she ends up really going and she doesn't she she can't get old, and she goes and she she jumps into the old movie. Right. In many of those things. And I could probably quote a couple more if I yeah. if I had my Rolodex. Yeah.
1: I've got for, at least one in my head. A guy, but, but a, the lot, of those, a lot of those Yeah, find his childhood, you remember. Right.
0: And a lot of those, right. The guy exactly. And he sees that they're telling him, Grow up, all the people all the people he visits, and he's able to come back, they all are sending him a message that you have to move on. Right. And I think this was something That uh, as, as strong as you're telling me, he wanted the little guy and he wanted not to be crushed. He also, as you said, was complex. He also felt people need to be honest about where they are. They can't just live in nostalgia. They have things move on, things change it's It's a tragedy in patterns as one of the as, as 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 Ramsey says you can't get fired on this level in other words right. you, you have to you have to be you have to be pummeled to the point that you you decide to quit yeah. <laughs> which is which is which is interesting you know teachers aren't that way Neil as you know right. teacher, but when it comes to and and i think that so I, so I think neil as much as you're correct rod Serling's whole body of work isn't a, a, the tyrannical uh just uh machiavellian way that you think i was trying to say but on the other hand m- many pieces of twilight zone and other places he does talk about the need for the new the need to move on okay and and, and i think that you see that here in terms of watching 45 minutes yeah and the movie takes about an hour and a half or so yeah. Why, which one did you think if you had to choose one which one would you would have watched?
1: I think it would have been a better trajectory for me to watch the original shorter one first and the second longer one second, but I did it the other way around. So in my mind, the one I knew first is a longer one, and there were a lot of things in it that I liked, but I think that the original um, teleplay is stronger. It's more like to the point, and oddly enough, it has some things that the other one doesn't have. That like I think were very important, and that even though the other one was longer, um some things were taken out that maybe shouldn't be, some things were explained better. I, I found it fascinating. Maybe it's my like Talmudic background, but I enjoy, you know, noticing and listing differences. Sure. Why
0: why don't you mention one or two things? I'll just I... mention
1: one. Um, you were talking about the the alcoholism before, and in the in the movie version, he just kind of does it, but in the um, in the original version, he says something like, oh, I have to do this to take the edge off. I need something to take the edge off. It's made much more explicit, like he's saying, this is an issue I have, this is a problem I have. It's like what they say about writing, like show, don't tell. In the original version, we're told, and in the movie version, we're just shown.
0: Um, okay. A great point, Neil. And, and, and this was, I guess, a struggle that Serling had, adapting it. Um, as we said, there was no reruns available, and it was considered a, a sign of prestige that your teleplay could be made into a movie. By the way, Yitzhook, I know you're listening here. We've talked about on this program how the 50s were uh, the great challenge between television and film and, and, and film, movies felt they had to get bigger, they had to go into super technicolor. they needed to get people out of their couch seats and into the movie theaters. And they that's why 3D and everything else was there, so you can't see this on TV. Things like Serling's Patterns and Requiem showed that TV could be a place that, just like comic books have now become that way, TV was a place that these teleplays, which were modest, could become films and maybe enhanced it's your contention though that that it was sort of like there was there was an, there was extra weight in the film that really was unnecessary I, I think one thing though the film did that that the teleplay could not just because it was on a sound stage and and cook who was the director of both um you know you could see that he had uh, the ideas in the film because they they were able to shoot in this cavernous office and you had the tolling of the bells and you could have the 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 uh, soundtrack which is hardly there but it's all the sound of typewriters going that was something almost to me similar to the theremin in the day the earth stood still it was like and that is something that i think that the film allowed serling to do that um w- when you saw you know, on a soundstage. Okay, here's the elevators. Here they went into an actual building, and they shot from below, and it made you see that this was like like a cathedral. It was sort of like a place of a, like a church almost, a, a modern day version of a, of a place of of vindication, a place of validation. So I, I think the film does enrich it on a certain matter. Yeah. Um, You mentioned the fact that you felt in the film, because of the extra time, uh, I think Beatrice Strait, who plays his wife, (laughs) is a lot more uh, conniving and evil than she, or at least not evil, but definitely undermining than she is in the the, teleplay. Yeah, I could
1: superimposing that, but that's how I felt. It wasn't just even because there was more of her. Just the way that it was acted, Mm -hmm. I felt that she was... You saw the manipulation. What did you
0: think, though, of the main difference of the characters? That for some reason, Richard Kyley, who was a film actor and, and was in a number of important films, um, but he was he did you know make his name as a television star. The idea of putting Van Heflin, in, uh, who, as I told you, had won an Oscar uh, in Johnny um, Johnny Eager, uh, where he plays a uh, the best friend of Robert, of, of Robert Montgomery. Uh, and uh, sort of a dashing, um, terrible guy. Uh, And he plays this drunk, semi-philosophic person. Uh, And he always seemed to play a guy with a lot on his shoulders, someone with a lot of gravitas, someone who's been through a lot, Mm -hmm. someone with a lot of pain. Um, That was Van Heflin's standard character. so who did which care do you think it was it was pretty much a wash between Heflin and Kylie? Or oh, was, Heflin was in the movie. Heflin was in the movie and Kylie was in the in the in the television show. Despite the difference in age, which was written yeah. as a younger person, did you think the performances were pretty much the same? I think they were both good performances. I would pick
1: the the movie one, Van you,
0: you thought Van Heflin brought more to it. I think um, so. I, I think you you I think you saw more sympathy for Briggs for Begley's character from Heflin than you did in the teleplay. because yeah. And of course, there is that scene where his wife, as you said, tries to turn the tables on him and says, if you really thought what I was doing was so underhanded, why didn't you contradict right. him and tell him that that you weren't the author and that you'd only added small parts? And remember what he says in both places. He says, because I wanted the job. Right. Because you realize that there's no such thing In this world that i'm not at work even when you're at a a a a cocktail party that everybody's invited to the boss is the boss right and um and and he admits that his own desire to to ascend the corporate ladder is is very strong that was the one scene i saw because i i did play it on my tv but i got busy with other things and i i walked back in during that scene on the television version and uh, you know, it showed that this character was not perfect. You know, like you said, he's not—he's not, he, not Mister Smith goes to Washington. You know, he's—he's—he's he, he, flawed himself, and he's so he's fitting into and perhaps going to get absorbed into this uh, amalgamum of you know these these imperfect people, and maybe you know get tainted by that. You know, that to the tamed like and. It becomes into something much more you know what well, because well he recognizes Yitzhak, that he does he is he took the offer he's driven to to succeed um and it isn't just because he has no children it's not just he's driving for his family he wants this is something that, that again i think Serling suggests is part of the human condition um and and i think that's you know what what, what i love what ra neil is saying that this is sort of the pattern of life, and you know, the, you know calling it patterns, I was very surprised. You no, know, every other, all his other titles, you can. Th- it's almost like, as you say, it, he's telling and not showing. I right. think the calling it patterns really makes you think. Like, why was that called patterns? Like, why, yeah. what what was the pattern that they were talking about? And I think this is really uh, is it, a way to turn it into something universal. Um The let's let's wrap up our talk about patterns before we move to the other Serling offering. Um, The use of women in this program, besides the wives, uh, the the women that really play a central role are the secretaries. Um, Now, corporate America doesn't look like this, if it ever did. But one of the ways, I, I wouldn't call it a Greek chorus, but one of the ways he accomplishes exposition is by letting us hear what the secretaries are talking about. Now, all the all the men have their offices, which Ramsey makes sure are decorated to the spirit for each one, right? He, he has staples ones decorated exactly the way for him to be as most comfortable as possible. But outside of those, and you see this in the movie, clearly, not so much in the teleplay, each one has their own secretary that's meant to somehow cater to them. Um, Staples loses. Staples ends up usurping um, Briggs's secretary, and this is part of the, the the key to that everyone can see that the jig is up for Briggs. But in general, you know, we have been hearing a lot in today's society how terrible the '50s were and how women were just these secretarial bodies that really did nothing and that they that they were shut out of the boardrooms and they weren't paid enough and and many people could look at this teleplay and film and say, oh, this was the Dark Ages. Look how terrible it was for women. Um, but, I, but I think, Neil, women, I think, aren't, weren't just, um, although you know Elizabeth Montgomery is in the original teleplay, and I guess you would say she appears quite fetching, but they aren't just eye candy here. Why don't you talk a little bit about the importance of those secretaries of what those women did?
1: Okay, well, since you mentioned Elizabeth Montgomery, I do have something about her I want to say. I think I don't think she was meant to be fetching or alluring in this. She does something in the teleplay that's not in the movie. She's the one who says, oh, we're getting a new vice president. And everyone else is like, sha, sha. It's not, don't say it. It's not happening yet. But she's starting the gossip and spreading it around. And it's like Serling's way of kind of telegraphing that early on mm-hmm. uh, in
0: the movie, even though it's long- okay. But she she wasn't an old granny with with with, with myopic glasses on, it was a little bit between those two things. <laughs> it, it happened to be someone who, who was okay. I'm not saying that I have her pin up, but I'm saying right. there was something about it. But go right. ahead, right? But what would right? So the secretaries tell us what's really happening, but there. Yeah. But, but what else didn't you I think feel- you right. I think they're giving credit? I think
1: they're part of the pattern also part of the pattern is you walk down the hall and it's you know little table secretary, little table secretary, little table secretary, it's a pattern, and then behind it office office, 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 just like you see, the ceiling is mm-hmm. is shown quite a lot. And it's mm-hmm. decorated. And something, just to throw in parentheses, but I really wanted to say this, at the very beginning when the music plays, we see the office building from the outside and there's a pattern of every other level of the building. Some have lights on bright and some have like a, a dot of light and there it can't be an accident. It's, we're being shown a pattern at, uh, at the introduction. I
0: have to see that again. But yeah. Didn't you think though that the secretaries who get there early, and Serling is able to do this because he has more time in the movie he's able to sort of explicate that point that these secretaries or women in society in general set the table they are they are the bedrock
1: 100% they're running the place
0: right and, and even though they don't have the 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 real positions of power they're the ones who make sure that everything is organized they're yeah. as i said they're early so in a way i think you know serving is, is 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 paying homage to them
1: Yes, I think uh, so.
0: And, and the second... not, none, none of them
1: are are having an affair. None of them are are ditzy in any way. The opposite. They're the first people we meet. They're the ones who know what's going on. They're the ones, you know, being prepared. Is he here yet? Is he here yet? What's right. going on?
0: He, he he could there could easily have been the trope of the blonde um, right. mindless girl who's only there because uh, she looks good. Right. Here you see. A a a sort of extolling what women are doing in the workplace that yep. they're actually they're actually doing something extremely positive. Even the switchboard woman, yeah, um, hundred percent. Right? And and they and and there's they are sharpest tacks. Yeah. So it it really is quite interesting because most people in most teleplays and movies in the fifties look <laughs> at look at the women as as you said as insignificant eye candy uh, and, and here. Briggs, the secretary, really allowed him. And she says, "You get close to a person after seven years." She knew him. She tried to protect him. Uh, right. And 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 what's incredible, of course, Ramsey knows that by giving a slay, a Staples this secretary, that's his best chance of succeeding. She's right. she might hate herself for doing it, but she's right. going to do her work. Again, right. in 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 a lesser movie or in a lesser teleplay. The secretary would have tried to stab him in the back. Would have tried to uh, right. inadvertently put the wrong piece of paper on her table. No, right. she's going to be a. She's going to do exactly what's. This. Right. She's going to hate herself in some way because she knows this is the end of her old boss. But right. she is totally committed. So I think it right. really is, in many ways, a very mature work. Let's ask the question, Neil, that yes. we asked last time, sort of about uh, "A Tree Grows in Brooklyn." Why is it that? I don't. I don't wonder why Patterns fell into the public domain. Right. That made sense to me. Even the movie is in the public domain. Right. But but why is it that, unlike Death of a Salesman, which you pointed out to me earlier today, is now on Broadway again? Why yeah. is Patterns not? It's just uh, nobody does it anymore. Why? Why didn't it become, uh, Serling's Death of a Salesman? What do you think?
1: I have a theory. I think that people only like. Other people to be one thing, and Serling became the Twilight Zone guy. So you know, you, you and I have heard of um, you know what was it called, Requiem for a Heavyweight? Yes, but even that that's fallen away. People don't know that. Anything else he did, even people know Night Gallery. No, really, he's only allowed to have one thing. This the Twilight Zone has become so iconic that he's like typecast as it were he's associated with that
0: and there's not room for for that's an interesting theory i mean you would think that when people are looking for um new material to put on broadway to stage in a in in an off-broadway theater somewhere or maybe summer stock in minneapolis you think they they could turn to this teleplay and and, and, and give it life again because it's see, feed Over cook has already shown us in the teleplay how it could be done right so i i, yeah. I wonder why I, I hear what you're saying I'm, I'm not as cynical as you as far as that goes <laughs> i think you're being more cynical now i think that the maybe it's because it's 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 in a way it's, it's somewhat dated in its dialogue which which many many old plays are so is uh, Kaufman uh, you know, George George's Kaufman and Moss Hart's uh, right. material, which gets redone and verified. But part of it, I think, might be the fact that um, it, it, it's tough to know how to play it. And maybe people like David Mamet, who I think his work most mostly parallels what you see in in patterns. Mamet, Glenn film, Ross, for sure. That's what I mean. Glenn Gurigan Loss is, is, is a direct descendant of the past. Yes. And, and, and that's also, I think, uh, a, a play and film that it's not so clear. You know, There's also this old character played by Jack Lemmon in the film yeah. that also, in a way, perhaps needs to move away. Uh, you know, another, what, was, what, what struck me in terms of Pattern's coda was the incredible scene of Ned Beatty in Network. You might remember in Network, yeah. which you know we have Peter Finch, who is sort of like, if Ed Begley's character could have a little bit of that Peter Finch uh, character yeah. within him, yeah. he probably wouldn't have had the heart attack right away. Maybe he would have had the heart attack later. But he also was someone who was railing against the corporate, right. the corporate world. And you remember, Ned Beatty sits him down in a boardroom and tells him there's something bigger than all of us. And it's not about nations, and it's not mm. about news. It's about capitalism. It's about money. It's about about influence. Very similar. Ned Beatty's speech. I don't remember it verbatim, but it's very similar to a lot of the ideas that you see in in patterns. So definitely worth. I think we all all three of us Yitzchak concluded. I think uh, agree that it's worth checking out both versions uh, and and getting your sense of uh, Van Heflin and and and, and, Ro- and Richard Kyley. Um, I think Ramsey was, I think the Ramsey character, it might've been the best thing I've ever seen Everett Sloan in. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I, I think this was a, a role that he, he, he loved doing and he doesn't sound like he's just reading lines. I think it's, it's just also right. a really- Places,
1: a lot of people say this is the best thing that Serling ever wrote.
0: Yes, yes. And, it's, it's, and, and again, I'm not, according to you, it's because Serling was so successful in Twilight so nobody's even looking at some of his old stuff. It's a theory. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. As like I said, uh, you know, Yitzhak wanted to talk tonight about one of Serling's other famous screenplays. It was based on what uh, it, it. Wasn't his original idea. His screenplay for um, for uh, Planet of the Apes and other things, where Serling wrote. And of course, I mentioned Seven Days in May, where he uh, adapted the Fletcher novel. Uh, novel, um, but I, I think maybe if people listen to this program, maybe uh, who knows. Look, you, you were in a high school, uh, Neil, where they produced plays. Could you see Frisch producing patterns? No. No? Nope. No. <laughs> you don't think it's meant for a Jewish? You think no, I,
1: I, just, I just know what they thought that would appeal to people. For a long time, they did just like satirical farces. Uh-huh. And they switched to, they did do uh, A Few Good Men. Which you could argue is not that different a genre from this, so it's possible in recent years. Um, you know, as I I, a
0: little. It's possible. May, may, maybe three musmochim can somehow give a thumbs up for putting patterns, and maybe even sing it. You know, in a more modern light. Maybe even modernizing patterns. Um, let's talk